Welcome to Tonebenders, a sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Dustin, Timothy, and Renee. Welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, is Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? Good. Today, it looks like we have an interview that you did with Andy Malcolm over at Footstep Studios. Yeah, Andy was great. He had us out, and we had a great time there. They have provided Foley services for a bunch of recent Oscar nominees like American Hustle, All is Lost, Flight, Tree of Life, and many others. In episode 18, Vanessa Ament spoke about Andy, and she featured him in a chapter of her book, The Foley Grail. I talk about all these alternative ways people have put together stages that are really interesting, including Andy Malcolm outside of Toronto where he's got a farmhouse and he's turned the whole thing into a Foley stage, and it's very interesting what he's done there. It's very different. And he does more than just Foley. He calls it all Foley, but basically he shoots field effects. He does more than just Foley. To him, it's all Foley, but it really isn't because he's also um, doing fresh sound effects that you would put in a library and cut in, and he does field effects, so he does the whole thing. And he's got a house that's completely rigged to record everything you would ever want. So he's got an amazing thing out there. Vanessa's graciously given us a couple of books to give away on the podcast, so how can people enter? Well, we have two copies of the book, The Foley Grail, the second edition that we've been given by Focal Press. To enter the contest, all you have to do is leave a comment on the SoundCloud page for this episode. We will put all the commenters in a hat and pick a couple of winners at random, and then we'll get back in touch with you. SoundCloud is a new thing for Tonebenders. We now have all episodes up on the SoundCloud page for Tonebenders. You can download them all from there, and you can get the entire back catalog. That sounds great. Let's take a listen to the interview with Andy. Hey, we are in Footstep Studios, Studio 2, watching the Foley team work on a project where the on-screen action is set over 1,200 years ago. They are doing a passive feat on a scene in a large building made out of rough-cut timber. The Foley artists, Goro Koyama and Sandra Fox, are picking which character each is going to cover in this scene. I want to be the weak woman. Oh, she's the warrior princess, man. The warrior princess. That's Trying on shoes for the scene to get the right feel for each character. Well, Jack Heran sits behind the faders, and Jenna Della Riva preps the Pro Tools rig for the first pass. Okay, here we go. Sandra's up first, and it's time to roll. Oh, she's like more motivated. Can you throw a bit more weight into that? Yeah, I gotta change my shoes. Okay. This one's are quick. The bigger they are, the better. <laughs> That's it. Today we have been invited to do a studio visit at Footstep Studios in Uxbridge, Ontario. You've most likely never heard of Uxbridge. That is because it is a very small town with a population of just over 19,000. It's not the location you imagine when you think of where some of Hollywood's biggest movies are being worked on. But it's here that many of 2013's Best Picture nominees had their Foley work completed. Footstep Studios is one of the busiest Foley shops in the game. The studio boasts a credit list that is shockingly impressive. They have collaborated with just about every director Hollywood and the international film community has to offer. 
From auteurs like Wes Anderson, Spike Lee, Richard Linkletter, and Tim Burton, to populists like Jed Apatow, Robert Zemeckis, and Roland Emmerich. That's it for her. She did. Whoa. She's done. What a way to go. Do you want to, you want to assemble that first? Because there's a lot going on. Located on an isolated 25-acre property, surrounded by farmland, the studio seems like it's on another planet than most other audio studios. Yet at the same time, it seems to be an idyllic place to work. And wait, so once, once we've done a bunch of the soldier guys, then we'll do movement for them with, with all their gear and that sort of stuff, and, mm -hmm. and then all the specific sounds as well. Although, uh, in a show like this, the, like sword hits, that kind of stuff, they, use, they take from a library. Mm -hmm. We were invited there to talk to Andy Malcolm, a veteran Foley artist of over 40 years, and owner of Footstep Studios. There, 3601. He has welcomed tone benders in to see how his crew go about their work. When I initially contacted Andy, our plan was to do a Foley-themed episode of the podcast that was split between a studio visit with Andy and our interview with Vanessa Amont, author of The Foley Grail. It turned out that there was just too much content to cram them both into one episode, so we broke them up into two shows. Vanessa Amont's interview was released a while back. You can hear it in episode 18. And now this is the second half of our Foley special. As you can hear in the background, we started the day sitting in on a session as they worked. Okay. okay. The ones with the queen? Yeah. Those two in the front are together. Okay. Boy, they disappear pretty quickly. <laughs> Oh, Good guards. Okay, the second group? Yeah, second group. Studio 2's four-person crew obviously have been working together for a long time. Most of what they are recording moves along without much verbal communication. A series of head knobs and one-syllable words are all that is needed before the majority of the takes. Can't stop there. Yeah. They are also working at a quick pace. Yet at the same time, they never feel rushed. Goro's been working with Andy for over 20 years, and his experience is obvious in the way he goes about doing his cues. His co-foley artist today is Sandra Fox, who is much newer to the game. That's one of the things I've just started to pick up on now, and it's really a feeling thing, but it took me two years to actually get it how it is that you manage to understand when somebody's going to put a footstep down. Watching someone walk and you can see their footsteps, even if you can see what's happening on the screen, it's still very difficult to get them in sync every single time. And of course we don't have to because we have Jenna and they can move things around, but to make the day go by more efficiently, you know, we've really got to focus on getting really good sync all the time. When you can read even the way someone's hips move, or the way their shoulders, shoulders are great indicators of where people are gonna put a foot down, or their heads, or whatever it is you can pick up on on the screen to indicate how their body's moving, what kind of a walker they are, you know, that kind of thing. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that takes years. I'm still not there. I feel like I've been trudging away, and you know, these guys have been doing it for, 30, 40 years, and uh, 
I've still seen them have a little difficulty. She's in that tricky territory between newbie and pro. She's been at Footsteps for three years and has worked her way up from intern to a busy part of the team. It is obvious within seconds of meeting Sandra that whatever she lacks in experience, she makes up for in enthusiasm. Ooh, let me do the whole thing again. I don't think I'll start them so early. The two Foley artists make an interesting pair. That's good. Got all right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> with Goro's seasoned calm and confidence contrasting with Sandra's get up and go. Before Andy arrived, Sandra was given the task of showing us the prop storage area and giving us a quick demo. Watch your step, of course, everywhere. There's stuff. To get to the prop storage, you have to go back through the main house where Andy lives and head down to the giant basement. Pretty much once you get past here, it's all free game. We can take whatever we want from here and make sounds with it, right? I guess this is Andy's collection of 40 plus years of going and getting the things that are on the on the picture. It's actually one of the first jobs I got charged with was uh, to clean, to organize all of the props and so that became my kind of way to earn my keep around here, right? So, got so you're like a prop librarian? That's pretty much it. I've got it all in here and uh, nobody else does which yes. makes me totally indispensable around here. <laughs> Saying she knows where everything is is quite a statement. This is a hoarder's dream come to life. But chaos does not reign here. Everything is organized in aisles like a department store. One aisle has more shoes than you could ever imagine. Well, this is actually just Andy's shoe collection here. There's, uh, um, so this is just the tip of the iceberg, really, of how many shoes there are here. And as you walk up and down the collection, you can find just about anything you can think of, from old toys to spare computer parts, an astronaut helmet, and more clothes than any closet could ever hold. What ends up happening is we'll encounter something that we don't have, and we'll go get it. And so, it just keeps growing. Possibly the most shocking thing about the storage area is that there's two other shipping containers behind the studio that hold even more props. Next up, Sandra's going to give us a demo of how to do foley for horse hoofs. There's a real technique to getting them to sound nice and weighty. But, um, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll put the microphone We'll actually put it right on the surface. I don't know if you noticed on the other studio, oftentimes when we're walking, we'd throw the microphone off of the surface because we don't want to get that bass rumble. But for a horse, we do want to get that bass rumble. So we put the microphone right on the surface that we're working on. While coconuts are often used for this purpose, here at Footstep Studios, they've gone through the trouble to get actual horse hooves sourced from a veterinary school. The hollow hooves have been filled with a liquid glue that had gardening gloves inserted before the glue dried. You can see a picture on our website. It's the perfect mix of function and creepiness. Sandra slides her hands into the gloves and then shows us how it's done. It's two hooves and so I guess there's like... That's like a normal uh, walking you know, walking horse, and then there's also the, there's like, like a trotting horse, which is like... Like that, and then there's that, the, the full... Like a gallop kind of sound, which is pretty cool. Beside the dirt pit where she is working is a large circular water tank about four feet deep. 
This tank was the main hub for the Foley Don on the recent Oscar-nominated film All Is Lost, starring Robert Redford. There's a sound at the beginning, at the very beginning of the film, where you can hear water hitting up against the shipping tank. Okay, and so I, it's so, and it was one of those awesome moments that I experienced where I go, oh, I did that sound, <laughs> and I remember uh, it. What we used was called a trim bin. Uh, we've got them out there. It's um, it's just a big metal bin. Yeah, for film. Yeah, that they used to. So that is like our number one go-to for big metal resonance kind of sounds, you know. So we actually took the trim bin and put it in here, and we were sloshing it up against the water and everything, and just kind of making this big giant sound. And the trim bin sounds so much huger than it actually is because it's just so flimsy and... You know, the metal is just bouncing around all the four sides, so it's like, it was awesome. Actually, Andy did all of the vocalizations of, you know, when Robert Redford's kind of struggling in the water. Andy did that. We've got some pictures of him. We filled up a tub of water, and he got into a wetsuit, and <laughs> he's in the water, and he's going... <laughs> greatest thing. Sometimes we have so much fun here with the stuff that you know we have to do. It's, it's amazing. Sometimes you watch the movie afterwards and you and you go wow you know I really put something in there that's worth something you know that I really like that experience a lot. Other times you know we do all this work and the director or the sound editor whoever kind of decides that well that's not an important sound right now so you know it doesn't make it in so sometimes you watch back and you say oh I did that oh it's not there so sometimes yeah. you get that experience where you wish it was there and it wasn't there but you understand why usually it's dark in here Sorry, there he guys. is and then Andy arrived he had offered to give me a tour through the studio while we chatted about his career his Foley techniques and the studio he built up from nothing we started with Andy telling me what it's like to have a busy Foley studio running in the same building he actually lives in. I work and live in the same house, and it's got its advantages and disadvantages, of course. Um, but the good news is, from the point of view of Foley recording, is that we have the whole house wired so that we can do um, sounds in the bathroom, uh, you know, taking something out of the oven, putting things in the fridge, all kind of things that happen in a normal house, which is a, a situation that you don't find in other Foley studios. The other thing we can do too when we get in the other room is that we can bring cars into the studio. And essentially what we're trying to do with Foley is we're trying to make it transparent so that if you're doing uh, car Foley in a car, you've got the natural acoustics of the car. The same applies to the house. That, um, you know, if somebody's running up the stairs and over top of your head, then we'll place a microphone downstairs here, point it up, and have somebody running up uh, above so that it sounds like it's coming either from another apartment or from uh, downstairs. So do you want to just give me quickly a little bit of your history, how you got into Foley and how you ended up in this uh, Foley palace? I uh, started in the mid-70s with two British sound editors that came over to Canada to kind of kickstart the sound in the feature film business, Al Streeter and Peter Burgess. And um, at first I was really disappointed because I wanted to be a picture editor 
and I got a job as an assistant sound editor. But um, as it turned out, um, they took me into the Foley studio one day and I was uh, doing their cue sheets for them. In those days we used to hand do the cue sheets so that you would know what was happening on what track and where it started and where it finished. And they were, uh, they knew the process but they weren't very good at it and I was kind of a kid in those days and I said, oh, let me do that and I kind of took over. And then um, that was really how I got started. The thing that I realized why I'm happy to be a Foley artist and not a picture editor is that Foley is the only job, the Foley artist is the only person who's actually on his feet all day. You know, moving around, throwing car doors around, punching meat, you know, rattling chains. And everybody else in post-production is sitting at a desk, and especially now with computers. So, so from that point of view, it just, it just kind of came pretty naturally and, and there was nobody around to really teach me in those days so um, I just kind of picked it up on my on my own for the most part. The, the recording engineer and myself we would just sort of make it all happen. I was working um, at various studios mostly at Deluxe Toronto but I was traveling around a lot. I was in Los Angeles and New York and Winnipeg and a lot of work at the NFB in Montreal and um, Ireland, all these places. I was working at different studios and uh, I just realized that, you know, the people are not um, coming to the studio, they're coming to us. And um, so I thought, you know, I was getting to the point where I was working days, pretty much every day, but at night they had um, other Foley artists coming in and they would throw their cigarette butts in the dirt pit and just kind of piss me off because, um, you know, they would leave the room in a mess and, and I didn't have as much control as I wanted. So, um, and the only way I could afford uh, to get out of town was to buy a house with a combination um, studio. I couldn't afford to buy, have a house and a Foley studio. So that's kind of, I just had to get out of town. And all the clients were our clients anyway. So, um, so the work just kept coming. Do you want to start giving us a tour? Sure. You'll hear the acoustics change as we move from room to room, but this is uh, our original Foley kitchen. So we set this up, um, again, it's all wired in here. We've, we've got um, outlets for, for monitors and for microphones. And uh, we use wireless headphones. I, I, when I first started, I didn't know how it was actually done. I just wanted to hear uh, what was on production. So I would wear headphones all the time and then I could kind of match to the production. When I went down and worked in uh, Los Angeles, I realized nobody wears headphones down there, but I've kept the tradition because I really like it. The thing about Foley is you don't want to uh, get in the way of dialogue um, because dialogue's number one, mm -hmm. as much as we uh, wish that Foley was there. <laughs> you've got to hear what the actors are saying. So, so when I'm listening on the headphones, I can hear when... Um, when I shouldn't be making sounds, uh, you know, try and work it, as when I said, in and around. When to pull back and when to... Yeah, work it in and around the dialogue. Also, 
I can hear if we're upstairs doing something in the bathroom or whatever, I can hear the crew, basically yeah. our mm -hmm. crew. So we've always got kind of a talk back going. We've got plumbing here. We've so if somebody's, you know, washing the dishes, I'll set up the monitor over here and watch the dishes in sync with the character on the film. One of the things that we do that a lot of other Foley studios don't do is we kind of build in perspectives and build in rooms into our Foley so that every angle change or every perspective change, the miking will be a little bit different so that so it sounds more real and we try and make our foley fit better to the picture when you're doing foley on location you can't believe what you're hearing back you you, you see the characters mouths moving and there's nothing coming out because we're just playing our foley back but it's so real so are you finding your own locations or going to where the films were shot we usually found our own locations. Our first film, as I mentioned, Agnes of God, we went on the actual, uh, in the buildings where they shot the film and tried to match it. But um, what we do now is we'll just find a space that's quiet, that has the, the size rooms we need and, and do it there. Um, some of the better films we did on location were um, Adrian Lyne's Lolita, and we went up to a lodge in the winter, so it was very quiet, no birds, or, and the snow acts as a, a buffer. We would go way up north and, and um, do all our foley up there. We'd take a truckload of equipment with us, you know, a mixing board, monitors, headphones, props, all the kinds of things we needed, and found that it was the ultimate uh, foley for a, uh, a drama. There's, there's different types of Foley, the way I see it. There's a drama where you're trying to make the Foley transparent. And then there's uh, animation, which is the other end of the spectrum, which um, allows a Foley artist to kind of go off the deep end and um, come up with, you know, all kinds of sounds um, for, you know, various situations and various types of animated films. And then comedy kind of falls somewhere in the middle because you're trying to make it transparent, but at the same time you get to exaggerate sounds. So on a film like Austin Powers or, or you know, some of the um, Bridesmaids, those kinds of films where the action is exaggerated, we, we exaggerate the Foley too and kind of have more fun with it. As we change rooms, we've got props everywhere. And um, I've been collecting props for about 40 years now. So the, the one thing about um, being a Foley artist and, and collecting props is that you never know what kind of a film you're going to get and you, know, you never know what era it's going to be. So we have to have phones from the 20s, 30s, 40s. And, you know, I've been collecting these kind of things for years. We just did uh, American Hustle, and that all took place in the 70s. So they were all 70s-style phones with the uh, dials and the, um, you know, more of a ring when you put the phone down kind of thing. We would supplement. If you were putting a phone down, we'd do another track and just sort of bang the phone and get a nice ring out of it, that sort of thing. And, and again, Foley is really all about layering sound. And people say, oh, what's the, what's the hardest sound you have to you've ever had to do I, I get that question a lot and it's not so much what's a hard sound to do because um, 
you just kind of start and you build a sound and that's the fun and, and creative part about Foley. The hard thing to do in Foley are, are little, if somebody's writing, you know, you have to uh, cross your T's and dot your I's and if it's not, if it's scribbling, if the Foley artist kind of scribbles over writing, it's not, it's never going to work. You really have to be detailed and, and keyboards and typing and things like that. Like a punch, for example, you can see a punch coming, but typing, it's just, you know, you got to really uh, focus on each individual key. I know it sounds a bit weird, but that's, that's the hardest thing to do in Foley. So this is um, our first theater, and um, we started in this room about 14 years ago. The, um, the whole theater is, uh, we have curtains that we can open or close to change the acoustics in the room. So if we're doing a gymnasium, for example, we want as much reflected sound as we can, so we'll open up all the curtains in the room, we'll bounce a microphone off the ceiling, and then we'll bring our, our uh, kind of close-up mic, we call it, around with us. And, um, and, and then if we want, like all exterior uh, sound is non-reflective, so we simulate the reflection in the room, or the non-reflectiveness, by pulling all the curtains closed. So we've got, uh, you know, a range from dead to, to really live sound, which we can create in here. So looking around the room, you've got a whole bunch of chairs. One wall is uh, covered in various kinds of doors, from bathroom stall to big wooden doors, uh, screen doors, and then... Uh, We've got a set of stairs, car, auto door. In, in our whole operation, we have probably about 98% of all the props we ever need. And when there's something unique or something I don't have, then I'll go out and find it so that we will have it. But um, we're always kind of bringing props in and taking them out. If we you know, if we left them in here all the time, it would become a, a real hodgepodge of stuff. Here we've got different types of stairs, too. We've got, these are the metal stairs, ringy stairs. These are an old set of stairs from, from Montreal. For, and those are uh, stairs we had built for a, a modern house, oak stairs that don't uh, creak or rattle. And then there's all these different floors here. We've got, um, you know, hardwood floors. We've got creaky wood floors. We've got um, marble and terrazzo, all those kinds of surfaces. And um, as you say, lots of chairs uh, for every situation. I mean, this is the part of the uh, amalgamation of chairs that we have. We have you know, chairs for every occasion. In this room too, we also have a mezzanine with um, a bed and um, dressers and lamps. So that, that kind of serves as a, as a bedroom um, uh, area. And we'll do footsteps up there as well. Um, we can lower and raise these stairs um, 
depending on whether we have a car in the studio or not, or whether we just want to keep it out of the way of our gurney. But behind these curtains here is our, um, these are our uh, garage doors, so we, this is where we bring the car in. And we set it up so that in this studio we can bring um, a car in and uh, the other studio we can't, but um, both rooms are, are connected. So uh, the, the problem with this, a door this size is that it's, you know, it's hard to keep it quiet. So these are like double layer of doors and it is very quiet, but we decided with our other room, which was built recently, that we wouldn't put a door that big in because we can do the car in here. And it's the same with the water in the other room. We do, we do only have one um, studio that can accommodate water fully, but that's all we need. You know, so uh, because both studios are interchangeable. So when you're doing a session, uh, you have two people running the board, the mixer and the recordist. Is that what you would Yeah, title well, they, oh, she's called, uh, Jenna or Steve, they're called uh, Foley recordist in, in Los Angeles um, because that's the tradition. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, uh, we call like they're really Pro Tools operator. They're they're operating the computer, which is very complex. I, I don't want to take anything away from what they do because it's very difficult. They're moving things around. They're they're keeping uh, track of where everything goes, and they're um, you know if we want to flip a sound or we want to do some kind of weirdness to a Foley sound, then then that's the uh, Pro Tools operator's job. Um, then there's the uh, recording engineer, um, and he, well, he, his job is just to get the best sound in, in the best situation. And most Foley studios just have one person doing both jobs, um, but uh, here we like to have each person kind of focusing on their own thing because I wouldn't want the recording engineer to have to be thinking about naming and, and allocating tracks and that kind of thing um, when their main job is just to record. So uh, both Jack and Don, who work here, have uh, both have 40 years experience. And they also have experience as mixers too, which is really beneficial for a fully recording engineer because um, they know what to listen for and how to, you know, get it onto the track so that it makes it easier for the mixer. And the reason we get as much work as we do is because we provide Foley that fits to the picture. A lot of studios, they're so concerned with getting the sound clean that they mic everything, you know, a foot or less away. And, and um, you, they're getting clean sound, but it makes a lot more work for the mixer to try and put all the rooms in. We like to, to because the studios are as quiet as they are, we like to, you know, leave a lot of space around our microphones. So it just, the, the Foley just breathes a little better that way. That's the way we look at it, so. So this room is where you would do all the interior footsteps, right? Correct. So through that door over there is where the- Sorry, The exterior, exterior. yeah. How long did it take you to build all this? So this took about mm, maybe six months to renovate this to make it a, a workable space. That that involves you know mounting all the doors, building all the surfaces, and uh, soundproofing. You know, there's um, like three layers of drywall in here. Um, 
on top of, you know, the roof. There's two roofs on top of here. So we're really working hard to get it quiet in here. We actually built a, a we have a, a separate furnace for this room. And the one, the one problem about living and working in the same place is that when we work in the studio, we have to turn the heat off in the house because it kind of rumbles a little bit. So in, you know, January, February, February and March, it gets a little uh, chilly in the house. So uh, this is our, we call it our dirt room or our mud room. And um, we have a variety of exterior surfaces. And what um, we've done that Goro came up with is we, we have, um, you know, garbage containers filled with, you know, pea gravel and railway gravel and charcoal and, and um, leaves and all kinds of uh, surfaces that we can sort of mix and match. But what we do now is we put our different surfaces in um, bed sheets and cotton bed sheets and so we can kind of fold it up and move it out of the way and all the dirt in this room is uh, ground like there's no pits in here the, this dirt goes right down mm. uh, to uh, China <laughs> and um, which which helps a lot for it, a lot of the studios I've worked in um, have dirt pits and so what they do is they build a uh, cement floor and they put a pit in and then you pour the, the the dirt inside the pit and the problem with that is if you're you know doing a, a horses or you're doing something where you're jumping or digging you, the whole room resonates so it doesn't really work that well so if you're building a Foley studio I advise you to build it on a ground floor and to not have pits for dirt Pits are the, pit. the pits are the pits, exactly. <laughs> so this is a water tank here? Yeah, this is a water tank that's round. You don't want a water tank that is square or rectangular because you get all your water, uh, the waves kind of bumping into one another. We keep it going, keeping it round kind of keeps it going and um, uh, makes it flow a little better. So if we're doing somebody swimming or we do a lot of underwater, we do a lot of the IMAX 3D underwater movies. And we do some of the sound underwater and a lot of the sound we can do above water even though and EQ it. Although I, I don't want to give a false impression because in Foley we don't EQ a lot. I would say really the only time we EQ is when, uh, when we're doing underwater stuff. You just take all the top end off it. So now we're walking into our Foley kitchen, which is much more lively room than the last one. We're just in the process of kind of separating the house more from the studio. Um, we've been using the house kitchen for years and um, we're just in the process of getting water in here and converting this into a kitchen which will serve as as a kitchen for eating your lunch and a Foley kitchen as well. So everything has a double entendre around here. So we're standing beside, uh, I don't know, seven or eight containers full of shoes. How many pairs of shoes would you say you have? Not necessarily here, but in total. No, we have, in total, we have at least 500 pairs of shoes. I mean, you need shoes for every occasion. 
as you can see, you know, high heels and sandals and rubber boots and fire boots and you name it, on and on it goes. And then, you know, we have Japanese shoes and Sri Lankan shoes and we have roller skates and... We saw some nice uh, Dutch wood clogs. In yeah, there. yeah, you never know. <laughs> so these are just the shoes that we're deciding which ones to, to, to turf because we've got so many shoes that... Um, we're starting to be swallowed up by our shoes here. And then behind the piles of shoes, there's uh, looks like the hood of a trunk. Sorry, right. hood of a car. It trunk. is a fence. So these are metal surfaces. Yeah, these are. Uh, we we actually have in addition to um, uh, the basement, which is filled with props. We have. Um, a school portable. I don't know if Sandra showed you the school portable. Well, we saw it when we came in, but we didn't Which, go in. And that's filled with props. And then we have three sheds out the back. And the reason all this stuff is in here is because we used it recently and there's so much snow around that it's hard to, to um, put it uh, where it belongs in the sheds. So it's a bit of a mess, but uh, it's the nature of Foley, I guess. For sure. It's been... Um, such a, a passion, you know, getting all these props. And I mean, I actually spent a lot of time in antique stores and um, uh, Value Village and garage sales and flea markets because you never know what you're going to need. You know, we started a, a Viking series and it turns out everything they use is made out of wood, including the pitchers, you know, where they pour their uh, the wine or water or whatever. And, it's not hard, it's not easy to find wood pitchers. So, you know, you're just always kind of building. And then we're doing 12th century, you know, Tudors and Borgias and all that kind of stuff. And that's all pewter and silver. And so every uh, series brings new props kind of thing. Yeah, you never want to get rid of anything because that's exactly when you'll need exactly. it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So this is our, our newest studio. This new room is a total room within a room. So we have the best soundproofing you can possibly have. We started this room from scratch, so we were able to design it exactly the way we wanted. We've got all our wood surfaces and we put terrazzo in here and we've got a marble surface back there. We had this surface built for Vikings because um, it's a rough floor. They didn't have any sanded floors in those days. So again, you want texture. And a big part of Foley, again, is about texture. Um, that's kind of, for me, that's the crux of what Foley is all about, is the different textures that you can create. Mm -hmm. And even in here, we've got um, curtains that actually open up on the ceiling, too. Yeah. So. We can actually accentuate by opening these. We can even get more reflection out of the room. So um, we keep our monitors on hospital gurneys. It serves two purposes. One that if we need the sound of a hospital gurney, which we need, we can move it around. And we find this a little easier than the projection because the projection would, is kind of limiting you know, when you want to close curtains and things like that. We get special quiet monitors and we, we have them adjusted to turn down any uh, kind of whines that you might get out of a normal TV. Yeah, I'd say we've been fully functional in here for probably three years now. 
Yeah, we used to, before uh, this room was built, we would double shift in the one room. And the thing is, you know, it was always hard working night shift, no matter who you are. I, I know it was a problem for me. You know, you start work at seven at night and work till three in the morning. So now the good news is that we can do all our shifts during the day. And both rooms are soundproofed enough that one doesn't uh, interfere with the other. Also, if, if, you know, if we get a film with a, a really tight deadline, we can actually have two rooms going at the same time, or we can work on different projects. Both rooms are equally as efficient and as good. You know, the, the other room, which isn't a room within a room, the first room, you know, around uh, rush hour, you can hear the odd truck go by or, or an airplane. In here, you hear nothing. It could be hailing outside and you wouldn't hear it. So that, um, that's a much more efficient way of, of working for us. For sure. Yeah. I was wondering if you could comment on the idea of how you get the character of a person with Foley as opposed to editing in sound effects from well, the library. That's, that's a good question, actually. When you're training somebody to be a Foley artist, the first thing that you have to focus on is the footsteps. Because essentially, you're doing footsteps in a limited amount of space. Um, so you have to learn the walk in place and you have to make it sound three-dimensional and all that kind of thing. Then you uh, have to figure out what shoes the character is wearing and um, what surface they're walking on. And sometimes it's not as easy as it seems because a lot of times you don't see the surface and you don't see the shoes. So there's kind of, um, you know, educated guesses as to what they're wearing. But the tricky part and the part that, that separates, you know, someone training to be a Foley artist and to be a Foley artist is that you put emotion into the feet and you, you can tell a lot about the character by the sound of their footsteps. And I know that sounds weird. I mean, a, a, um, a, an obvious example would be, you know, somebody who's kind of old and, and drags their feet as opposed to a kid who's all spry and jumping all over the place in their running shoes. And you try and portray the emotion in all the characters' footsteps, whether, you know, it's a Viking uh, chief, you know, his feet have to be strong and, um, you know, forthright. Whereas, you know, some, some kid who's not sure of what he's doing or where he's going, it's, a, it's kind of a whole different um, approach. Mm -hmm. What I would suggest to somebody who really wants to learn Foley but can't get in a, a, to train with a Foley artist, if you're in film school, then, then be the sound guy in everybody's movie. And, and that's a great way to learn. Um, the other thing is to make your own movie, which is, which is the way to go these days because, you know, you can buy a digital camera, you've got your uh, a Final Cut Pro, you can make the whole film yourself, including the Foley. And what I find with a lot of students is that they'll make a film and they'll have wall-to-wall -wall music. And that's just kind of um, uh, a cop-out as far as I'm concerned. Anybody who has the initiative is going to want to actually go out and record um, themselves and record in locations. Yeah. You know, you can't do that for a feature film, do the whole thing on location, or maybe you could, you know, depending on the locations you find. But, um, but the only way really to learn is to go out and do it.
you know, because it's about rhythms. A lot of Foley, Foley would be like drumming in music, I would think. You're, you're putting the rhythms in and kind of, uh, and, and the same with drumming. If you hear a drummer, it, if it stands out, then it's not good drumming. If you hear Foley um, in a movie, then it's not good Foley because it's standing out. So there's the whole issue about seeing sync. Some people just can't see sync. It's amazing. You know, they try and recreate the rhythm and they just don't get it. And then I had a dancer here once who she could see sync and she was getting her feet, but she couldn't make anything big enough. And I'd say, you know that cup, as simple as a cup down, you see that cup down, you did do it 10 times as big. And then the person would do it again and it would be maybe twice as big. And no matter what, I tried to tell her to make it bigger. She just couldn't make it bigger. So th then you're gone. You know, you need to make big sounds. You need to make small sounds. But you, you kind of have to have that range. So there's so many variables that, that um, make a good Foley artist. You guys had quite a year in terms of the Oscar nominees this year. Well, the great thing about um, a lot of these movies that we work on is that we work with great people. I mean, we don't want to give the impression here today that Foley's the be-all, end-all. Like, we're part of a soundtrack, and we're, you know, we kind of fall between the cracks sometimes, but good Foley works with good sound editing. And it all works together as a package. So when we're working on a film like All Is Lost, we're working with, you know, Richard Hims and Steve Bodecker, and these are, you know, the top-notch um, guys in... They're actually from Skywalker. Yeah. But, but we work with a lot of great editing teams, and, um, and it really is a group effort. And even in the Foley room, I don't want this interview to make it seem like the Foley artist is the be-all, end-all. It's really a group effort. You know, the Pro Tools operator, the recording engineer, we all have to work together as a group or it doesn't work. And people say, well, isn't your job going to become uh, obsolete? Isn't everything going to be, aren't you going to be able to do everything on a computer? But the way we work, we can work fat, I mean, to try and fit all the perspectives and all the feet and all the different shoes. And I mean, we can do it way faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, so no, we're not going to become obsolete. It's kind of like you can't cut it in effects. I mean, maybe you can, but it would take a lot longer and, and you wouldn't get all your perspectives the way that you would like, you know. I mean, the effects cover the... We used to do all the punches, and sometimes a director will want a fight that sounds more real. But for the most part, you know, they're all Hollywood jaw socks, as they're called, and everything's larger than life. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward for a sound editor to lay in punches. So we save a little bit of time there. But, but all the in-between, you know, all the blocks and all the, the other things that aren't, yeah, I mean, you can't find that stuff in a library. So, man, that was just such a killer interview and, and walkthrough. It was, it was very cool of Andy to, to share his space and all of his knowledge with us like that. Um, there's, there's so much there. You know, Andy is an amazing guy. He was so much fun to be with. And not only did he agree to let us come into the studio that day, they actually moved their scheduling around 
so that one of the two main Foley suites was empty and we could really tour it and get into all the nooks and crannies. So he actually kind of made room in the schedule just for us to come in and it couldn't have been more appreciated. So that was really amazing that they, yeah, that they accommodated you to that degree, you know, given the amount of work that they, that they clearly have coming through the door to, to clear out both time and space like that was just really top shelf for those guys. It's not just Andy, too. The The whole crew there are super pros and super nice. It's great to see uh, just the laid-back attitude, but super professional attitude at the same time. Yeah, I find that you can. that's how you can tell a pro sometimes, is the pros are, are not concerned about stuff, and they're not egotistical um, with their lot and things. A lot of the people that carry ego are the people that are trying real hard because they're not at that level. Um, yeah, there is no ego going on there at all. Yeah, those guys. So tell me about the scale. Um, it it just it felt like it was like like it was huge, and I know that you were cutting around the uh, the transitions between you walking from room to room. Like, how big yeah. is that place? It's a big house. So I don't want to say it's a mansion. It's a it's a country house that's got lots of space for them to live. And then off of that is the two Foley studios. The new one is huge. I don't know, I'm thinking maybe maybe 20 meters by uh, 25 meters or something. So it's a big space. And the other one's just a little bit smaller. But inside that space is, the control room is inside the recording room. So there isn't like glass and then the, the control boards and everything on the other side of it. They're all in one space. So they work in silence, and then when they need to hear playback, they just pop the speakers on and uh, hear playback. They actually power down the speakers while they're recording, so there's no possibility of a buzz or hum at all from them. So they pop them with like a power strip? Correct. Wow. Um, and I guess they're not concerned about dust getting in any, any, getting in any of the gear? Well, in the f original Foley room... The dirt room is a separate room, so there is a, a door between there. there. There's no window, though, so you can't see back and forth. But in the new room, the dirt area is, is the far end of the room from the board. But to be honest with you, I don't know if they're cleaning it themselves or they have a service, but it's immaculate in there. Like, there, nothing was dusty, so it's not an issue. That's cool. Did you notice what kind of mics they were using? They were using uh, 416s. Yeah, 416 seems to be the, the industry standard on it. It's a it's a pretty bright and bitey mic. I I actually have a hard time dealing with like footsteps with a four sixteen, um, but I know that's definitely the standard that a lot of people use. They also have a mic closet that so whatever anyone requests. But what they were using when I was there was was a four sixteen up close. And I guess they just had little XLR patch panels in every room. Yeah, exactly. Right on. Yeah, it was amazingly well laid out facility like. Everything had a spot and everything had a bin like there was just bins everywhere labeled like uh, marbles or labeled, you know, switches just to know where everything was would be so much for one human brain to handle. Like it was it was so well organized that uh, I guess that's the only way you can do it because it would be chaos otherwise. Yeah, mine is my Foley gear is definitely chaos at this point. <laughs> it's. It's, I mean, it's kind of broadly sorted into categories, but man, I, I don't have nearly as much as they do, obviously. I mean, who does? I don't think many people have as much as they do. Like, as I said in the piece, we went into this basement and it's a bigger basement than you're imagining in your head. Like, it's a big basement. And then as, as we're going through it, they're like, oh yeah, we have two uh, 
storage containers out back full of stuff as well. And there are 18-wheeler storage containers. Right. Like just massive amounts of stuff, anything you can think of that you would need. Man, that is just really cool. I, I wish I could go see it in person. I wish they had shots of the interior up on their website. It's a really impressive facility. And as I say, the people that work there were really impressive as well. They were as impressive as the surroundings. It's also, it's like an ideal place to work. Like myself, I work right downtown in a big city. Getting to and from work is, you know, you're crammed in a subway. These people, they're going to work in the middle of a farmer's field. It's so, it's like the perfect environment. But still just nature and pastoral out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, hey, thanks to thanks to Andy and everybody over at Footsteps for for allowing Tim to walk in there and pick their brains cuz this was this is one of my favorite episodes that we've done cuz I just I love Foley and it's not my strength, but it's something that I always just have fun with and uh to to hear the people that are at the actual absolute top of the game discussing the craft like that and just letting you in like that was a super huge treat for me. I just I thought it was great. The other thing I just want to say quickly is while I was there, there was a woman that was a director of an animated short. I went into the one Foley room and watched one crew work. And while that was happening, Andy and some other people there were screening this animated short. And uh, I was in the hallway when they came out of the screening. They were genuinely excited about it. Like they, they're not just in it for the, the credit list. They, they want to work on good work. And if it's good, they're excited to work on it, which is... It was a really uh, invigorating experience just seeing how enthusiastic they get, even though they've been around the block a million times. They're just ready to work on cool stuff. That's great. That's the way to be. For sure. So let's just put a reminder up to all the listeners that we've got a contest going on to pick up Vanessa Ament's book, The Foley Grail. Uh, She's got a chapter talking about Andy and the way that he works over at Footsteps. And the way you can jump into that contest is find the Tone Benders podcast on SoundCloud, leave a comment on this episode about anything that you hear in there. And once this episode's been up for a couple of weeks, we'll put everybody in a hat, we'll draw two winners, get in touch with you, and we'll ship you each a book. So with that, thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Andy and everyone over at Footsteps who let Tim walk in there and take up their time and space. Thanks to Adele Young for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can follow the show at The Tonebenders and go to tonebenders.net to leave a comment. Also check us out at facebook.com slash tonebenderspodcast and now on SoundCloud. See you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. Find us online at tonebenders.net where you can see our archives and leave a comment or a tip. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review while you're there. Follow us on Twitter at the Tonebenders, or email us at dc, timothy, or renee at tonebenders.net.